Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. All right, everyone. Well, welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is your Women's History Month, and I am so excited that you're listening. If you have listened to the past three weeks, your head has probably exploded off of your shoulders because our guests have been so incredibly fiery and um, really revolutionary in terms Mm -hmm. of even theology of what they're creating and putting out in the world um, for us to learn and lean into as men and women of faith. And then um, it's really, really an exciting time today, but but it's also a sad time for me. And so I just want to give you an advanced warning that my voice is the only voice you're going to be hearing as your host because Brett has lost his father mm-hmm. uh, due to COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are we are grieved and we are um, we are thankful that we we are grieving because we were loved so well by pops. And we know that our losses are just, evidence of how incredibly loved and how incredibly um, special of a man he was in our life. So if you know Brett, um, if you just listen to his voice, feel free to send him an email at brett, B-R-E-T-T, at jesussaidlove.com, expressing your condolences. Um, If you've got his number, you know, you can always text him. Your care, concern, and support of us means so much during this season. So um, with that in mind and knowing that this is going to be a woman's history podcast and you now are, you are here just with me on the podcast, but I'm bringing on this really special guest who I cannot wait for you to meet, Christy Bauman. Welcome. Mm, Thank you, Emily. And I just love how you honored your pops, like even Mm -hmm. as your voice trembled a bit. I think all of us, tears came to my eyes. And I just think, thank you for sharing him with us that we could even honor um, a little bit, just a moment. So I'm just grateful for how you are honoring him and his love. Mm. And I appreciate that. Thank you for having me today. You are so welcome. He would be, you know, the one thing that I've embraced in this grief. Um, and I told you a little bit before the show, we, it's been wave on wave of mm-hmm. house fire and, and pandemics. And we had a Texas snowstorm that was super crazy. Yes. And, um, and a lot of losses. We've lost four significant people in over the past year. And one thing that I'm just struck by is, um, and I was actually talking to my mother-in-law about this, so it's really relevant that we're having this conversation, is historically um, the rebirth that women carry in their bodies and this amazing ability to recreate, to reimagine in the midst of grief and loss. and, And I am just... I'm discovering that. I'm discovering that right now within myself, within our family. Um, yeah. And it's, so it's really relevant that you're on the show today mm-hmm. because that's 
a lot of the territory and the terrain. Mm -hmm. Man, that is your work. So tell our audience a little bit about who you are, about Mm -hmm. what you do. And uh, yeah, let us let us hear you. Sure. So my name is Christy Bauman, and I have been a therapist for over a decade now and um, supervise in that world of psychology and women, particularly around their sexuality and their spirituality. So the kindness is when I go to work, even though I hear a lot about trauma and a lot about harm, I also get to sit with beautiful women who are burying what has died um, in their life and in their story, and then also getting to be a part of watching the rebirth. So it's really incredible for you to talk about that because I think the life-death life cycle is so important in the Christian faith and even in our own humanity, but we like to skip over the death part of the cycle because that is the part that requires us to grieve. That's the part of suffering that is so hard, and yet the work of digging our fingers into the ground and pulling dirt up Mm -hmm. is something that I truly believe is part of the process mm. and the holiness of creating. Mm. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I do most of my days. I wrote a book, Theology of the Womb, Knowing God Through the Body of a Woman. And I follow the church calendar with the woman's uterus and the lifespan of the female uterus. Mm. And it is just um, a, an incredible invitation to women and to men to look through a Christian lens at the female body in a very different way as the Mm. Imago Dei made in the image of God. And I wasn't taught that from the pulpit. I wasn't even taught that in seminary. And I have just, I've found it and explored it and researched it and and tried to bring it to the church. That's my Mm. hope and my longing. Um, Mm. And my other book is A Brave Lament, which is about my first son who, when he was born, um, died in stillbirth. And we went from my body went from birthing him to burying him and my relationship with grief and with God and my rage and all of a sudden to continue to believe in God, God could no longer just be male. He had to become female Um, to understand what it had cost me to bury my son. I, I understood that God, the father had watched that with Jesus on the cross, but I needed to know that God had an aspect of a full belly and birthing so that I could really trust that he knew my heart as I buried and I buried for longer than three days. Mm. I have now buried my child eight years now. And there is something about me understanding that God has a mother heart Mm -hmm. that brought me back to trusting um, Mm. in her in a deeper way in my relationship. Mm. So that's what I come with. That's most of my daily work and narratives. So you've said so many things that for so many of us as men and women, as people of faith, maybe if you're listening to this and and you've grown up in church or you would consider yourself churched in some way, um, are really radical. Hmm. And um, in fact, so radical that I, I don't have a seminary degree. My theology has been um, deconstructed and rebirthed by reaching out to women in commercial sex work because that's our audience. That's Mm -hmm. what our ministry does. Mm -hmm. So when I encountered women who who were abused, raped, assaulted, exploited, 
and saw myself in her, uh, saw my own story come to life in her as well, and had to, I mean, my theology, I threw up in the air and blended it up. And, you know, what rained down really has been manna every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, but, but now even more than manna. I mean, it really feels like a promised land that I'm getting to discover. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as I, uh, at one point, I think of a story when I preached, was offered to preach at a church um, in the Houston area. And I talked about spirits and story. Mm -hmm. And I talked about spirit and story through the context of God, our mother, Mm -hmm. and the feminine aspects of spirit. And um, I, my podcast stream or whatever went out, the elders had a meeting after that, all male elders, Mm -hmm. and said, Emily did not teach in accordance with our doctrine, and we are pulling her from our podcast because this is dangerous and heretical. And I got an email from the pastor that says, you need to be careful. You're headed down a dangerous path. Gosh. And that was not that many years ago. Oh. And so, so, so for our listeners who have never even entertained the idea of God as mother. Hmm. Why do we need God as mother? Why why is this a dangerous notion? Why do we Hmm. need it? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you approach that question when when people ask? I have so much to say about that. Say it. Um, I I think I'll, I'll first start with, it's interesting that it's a dangerous thought, right? Mm-hmm. For me, as I just shared, I needed God to be female because I some part of me lo- no longer trusted an only male God. And I, it's not because I needed to be great or I needed my gender to somehow be glorified. That wasn't it. It's that I needed to know that God knew me. And what I realized that God not only knew me, but that I make up, if we want to use percentages, which we're not allowed to with gender and God, but I make up 50% of God's gender, of God. Yeah. And so when we wrestle with the Imago Day, we come into this context, I think, as women that say, what do we do with this body that co-creates? What do we do with a body that is embodied and actually displays something of the Savior and of God that the church is uncomfortable with? And I think the reason the church is uncomfortable with it is that it feels dangerous through a patriarchal lens. What what we're afraid of, oppressors are afraid that those they've oppressed will come back and treat them the way they were treated. But mm-hmm. I don't think women who are trying to speak from a pulpit have any desire to emasculate or somehow take power from men. And my husband and I were just talking about this <laughs> last night. Um, but there's there's something of what do we do that we know God intimately in a way that men don't, and we want to share that journey so that they can understand God in another way. But I think often, sadly, there is a fear, right? Whether that's the the idea of feminist or this feminazi as, you know, Mm. these words of like Mm. power and harm and Mm. really has nothing to do with actually the female nature Mm. at all. The female nature is ultimately her calling is to birth life and her calling is to birth death. 
We are both doulas of life and we're death doulas. And that's that's innate in us. And that's what I call forth in the book is that women have stopped being passed down what they do in this world. We cultivate life and death. We help those passageways. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with power or being heard from a pulpit. It has nothing to do with taking over a man's calling in this mm-hmm. world. And I, I sadly think that patriarchy in the Western church is what comes in that moment. And it's interesting that, as you said, I was asked to preach. There's a timidity, right? Mm, In bringing your voice. You had to say, I was asked. Asked. Yeah. I had permit. I had a covering, right? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I preached a sermon in, you know, at our church, I've been on the teaching team for eight years now, and I preached a sermon on the motherhood of God. And mm. I went to my pastor nervous, and I said, is this okay? Is this mm. heretical? Mm. I was giving him so much power right. to tell me what I was interpreting scripture. And he, in his such beautiful response, said, not only is everything you're saying radically holy, but I'm going to ask you to only use the female pronoun for God when you preach. Think about the difference. Was this somewhere in the South, Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) The Pacific Northwest. I mean, I'm just saying. Wow. But I say that to say, what did your body feel even in that moment? What did our listeners feel as they thought about you being asked to preach? Okay, maybe they got nervous. Oh, no. Then all the pressure. You you get one chance. So Mm. it better be good. So then the woman comes and she tries. Men are getting to practice a thousand times mm. and getting to cultivate their voice. And what do we do as women who are also brought to be at the table? We were meant to be at the table. Mm-hmm. Again, not to rule, not to mm-hmm. overcome. That's not even in our, our being. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what did your body feel when, when the, my pastor's response was, and I actually want to challenge you even further, mm-hmm. only use the female pronoun. I thought, re- you are setting me up. And I had men uh, staring at me in church when I was doing that. Yeah. But I felt like he he was parenting me into mm. a deeper relationship with God. And yeah. I was so grateful. And what I'm so sad about is that the men that were coming to you were not mm. calling you into a deeper understanding of God. Their mm. fear stepped in. And, and almost incited fear in you. Be afraid. Oh. You're becoming someone dangerous. Yeah. Is our God not big enough? Right. Right. And and last time I checked, I mean, from conservative to progressive, like God doesn't have one gender. Right. I mean, last time I checked, it was like we didn't all subscribe to this. No, we, we believed collectively that God is a being that created right. both male, female in his image. And so that's, that's what is so confusing. It's like, we can say that we believe that God is this mm-hmm. being who created male and female in his image, but we can't actually say her. Right. Right. And, and, you know, if we want to just push everybody to their limit right now, yeah. if God does transcend gender, right? That's what everyone who's told us when we study scripture, you know, it's G-O-D-D-E. It's mm. between God and goddess that mm. there is a word that it transcends gender. We don't want it to hold gender. So the, what do we do with maybe the transgendered person right? who tells us more about God than even yeah. the gendered, but we're yeah. so far behind 
Right. And we're silencing people, and we're, we're actually learning less about God in that process. Well, and even some of the people, so, so a little bit of history about the city that we're located in, in Waco, Texas. It was Huaco. It was, it was H-U-A-C-O or H-U-E-C-O. There's two different translations, but it was a Native American um, mm. branch of the Wichita um, tribe who was largely Plains and an agrarian um, Native community. And they settled along the banks of the Brazos and, of course, were driven out. Um, but when I started researching kind of the history of my city and kind of what kind of land we were on, it was like one thing led to another. And I suddenly discovered that within the Wichita uh, community, within this Native American community, of which the last living speaker has now passed away, I think three, so it's considered a dead language now. Wow. Um, but within the Native, many Native American communities, they believed that there were certain transgendered or non-gendered mm. uh, people who were born into their tribe or into their community. And they believed those people had an especially supreme divine connection wow. with God. Wow. And they revered that mm. person as a spiritual guide to help them as the gendered person. And so what did we do? Oh. Why are we behind? Because we killed them off. Oh. Oh. That's why. You know, and, and it's just the history will tell us. Yes. And so where can we be mindful of, of where we're killing off things mm. that, you know, maybe are too dangerous? Mark Nepo has a book called... Um, I think it's called 7,000 Ways to Listen, but basically he says there's 7,000 languages. Mm. We are, why don't we learn to listen 7,000 ways? Mm. And I would just ask even listeners now, like some of this is hard because it's tied to story and it's tied yeah. to trauma. And, you know, it is scary to step mm -hmm. into something, but would we look at the things that we are killing and silencing and oppressing so that we don't have to learn how to mm. listen 7,000 mm. ways. Mm. I, I, I just, I want to be open to that. And what I'm so sad about is the, the female gender is a, a pretty, you know, it's 50, it's a pretty large percentage. Maybe it's not 50%, but, and we're, and we're not willing to listen to, and, and we feel afraid of that. And that, that makes me really sad, and it, it ties into why do we need to objectify the female mm. body? Why do we need to kill the embodied woman? Mm. Because her body's telling us something really beautiful about God. Mm. And if we can objectify it and sexualize it and silence it, then we don't have to listen. And I think mm. men don't have to contend with how hard it is and how moving it is when a woman does talk about how God speaks to her through her body. Mm. So I think some of the question, and I think some of the pushback on this, we had one of our guests um, two episodes ago is a historian, and her name is Beth Allison Barr, and she just wrote a book uh, that I think was just released called The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the mm. Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. And so she studies medieval history, and she's making these parallels into how we read the Bible, how we've read, and how mm -hmm. patriarchy 
and you know the caste system, um, racism and and patriarchy and sexism, yes. all of it, it works on top of each other to mm-hmm. promote one certain power structure, the white male, um, and and sidelines really everyone else. And she makes some really good points that I think the pushback and I think the thing that feels very dangerous to some of my more conservative friends is that if I go here. Mm-hmm. Like if if I begin to pull and and tug on this thread that maybe I've read things the wrong way, maybe you know your God is God referred to as her or she in the Bible? Why didn't why wasn't it in there? How come mm-hmm. we can't see it? Why did why did Jesus some of the pushback? Why didn't Jesus ever teach us about? transgendered or mm-hmm. or encounter why couldn't one of the women have been um, a homosexual sure. male that Jesus was you know so there's not this hard uh, mm-hmm. kind of evidence that many are wanting what do you, what do you say what's your encouragement or um, yeah how do you respond really to that fear Hmm. How do I respond to the fear? It's interesting that you can see, um, like the caste system, or, or like these cycles where we we want to oppress people in different ways. So mm-hmm. even if you look at the, the black community, right? It's not slavery anymore, but it's incarceration. Mm-hmm. These ideas that we're just finding a different way to silence people that we disagree with. What would I say to the person who feels afraid? Oh, if they could just be brave enough to maybe ask why they are afraid. Mm-hmm. And again, I come back to the idea is maybe what I fear is I fear I will be treated the way I treated the other. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's hard to let them have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And yet to me, if you if we just even talk about Jesus, it, Jesus was not a white man. <laughs> right. Not not at all. Like our manger scenes have it wrong. What do we do with that? It's so I don't think Jesus could have come as a woman. I I don't think politically they could have societally, the Roman empire could have handled that. But I do see the relationships that Jesus had. Every relationship that Jesus had again and again was with a beggar, with someone who is blind, with Mm -hmm. someone who is a tax collector, just Mm -hmm. anyone that the society would spit at. Yeah. With the adulterer, like uh, mm-hmm. so, I I don't know what the listener is afraid of, but I think Jesus is telling the story, whether we translate it that way or not, mm. and it's in the relationships. Look at mm. every relationship that Jesus was in. Truly research that, and so I, you know, I even in watching the chosen, I have loved. I don't know if you've oh, seen it yes. at all, but there's just something so sweet. And so reminding that Jesus was nothing like what I've been taught as a white man he was or what he did and Mm -hmm. how he shared the gospel. It's not really that way. Um, It was very much through relationship and through breaking bread and all are welcomed at the table. Mm. Um, I I do think it's And the way way that... Um, you, I've been listening to your womaneering podcast and you've got, I believe it's two episodes out right now. I think there's a trailer and then a couple episodes and, um, 
man, you are asking some really incredible mm-hmm. questions. One that in particular, my husband and I actually talked about, which was what is, when you think about, and you've already said it in our podcast, but to emasculate someone, mm-hmm. um, what is the female synonym right. for emasculation, emasculate? Right. And there isn't one. Right. We don't have a word. I mean, can you believe in this time, this day and age, this century, we don't have a word for defeminize, efeminize? I don't even know, but it it's not a category. And so I think that the reason, and this is going to lead us into talking about your, your work with Theology of the Womb and your Womaneering podcast, is that it proves the point mm-hmm. that to be male or masculine is to hold power Hmm. in some way. Yes. And so when we talk about emasculating a man, uh, it really means to decrease their strength. I think that's the actual Webster's Dictionary because we looked it up. We were like, what does emasculate really mean? Are we talking about castration? Are we talking about like, you know, an an attitude? Um, But it's really making them look small and weak. Stripping them And typically it's of a a woman. Um, A lot of times is how you hear that used. But it, it can be male to male. But we don't have that for a female because the assumption is she doesn't have any power. She doesn't hold power. I mean, I'm even thinking of, I, ha- I used to have a Nike shirt that said, run like a girl. Mm. But it was meant originally yeah. as a negative. Like the boys were saying, you run like a girl. And that was right. a, a negative thing. And I just think you're right. We don't come into the conversation or the game with power. I can't even start this podcast interview talking about you know, my book with legitimacy, I have to first deconstruct Mm. or help people get to the point that gives me legitimacy. And I have a PhD, like it's, it's not even enough. (laughs) It's like, I've been to seminary, but it's somehow because of my gender, my genitalia, Mm. for Mm. some reason, I'm not allowed power. So that's what was so redeeming about the book is I found so much power in Mm. the female body. Mm. And that God blessed it. Mm. Like when God breathed into the female body, he breathed a a, a power of just her embodiment. Mm. And I love that. What does it mean? Tell our listeners, what what does it mean? We've used the word embodied a lot. But I think sometimes that's still not a term that a lot of people, unless you're in this field or in this work and space are familiar with. So what does it mean to live in an embodied way or to read scripture through an embodied Hmm. way? What does that mean? It's so good. I think about presence, right? I think I know when I'm in my body, I mean, and I share this story even in the book, I'm demanded to know when I'm in my body because I'm bleeding and Mm. I have to go do something about that, right? I have clients who've come in and they're like, I bled through my pants. I was so busy in the day. I was just working and I was so doing so many things and we forgot our body. Mm-hmm. We didn't remember that blood was flowing out of us and we had to tend to her. Like mm-hmm. we forgot, we got so busy. And I, I don't think that's abnormal, but to me, that's not being embodied. Embodied mm-hmm. is when I feel my body and I'm present with it. And so 
when I am talking to my child and I am holding eye contact and I am present with her, but I feel what's going on inside of myself and I know why I'm reactive, I know why I'm cranky, I know why I'm angry, anxious, pissed off, whatever it is, I have a sense of my embodiment. And I think when we take scripture and look at it, it's the same question you asked our listeners, what's going on that you feel danger or afraid Hmm. What do we feel in our body? I, I feel scared when I hmm. don't know if I'm going to find female references in, the, in Scripture. Because then hmm. I'm not credible and I'm not legitimate. Okay, well, the embodied feeling is I feel afraid. Yeah. I feel invisible. I feel unseen. And can I read Scripture in that way too? Like, Can I read hmm. Scripture wondering what it's like to be a female in Jesus' eyes? Well, if he's at the well with me... Hmm talking about my five husbands, he sees me. And I know that my body feels absolutely vulnerable and seen and loved and shame all at the same time. Like I feel love. It's embodied in me. Yeah. I think um, your field in terms of therapy and doing the kind of relational narrative work that that you're a part of day in day out with with clients and with therapists and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know you personally in that way but I know people like you and friends of you who've helped me get in touch mm. with my own narrative with my own story so yes. that I can come back to my body is there is is story the key there mm. I think story of, is of knowing the body story is the first step Right. Mm -hmm. The same way we say like an addict needs to be at least aware first, like growth Mm -hmm. is awareness. I think story, you knowing your story and where you come from is the first part of introducing you into embodiment. And then I think it's a practice after that where we actually stop and pause and breathe and reflect in the moment. But we tie in our story. And a lot of the work I do is I start with a birth story. How did you come into this world? Because evil marks us in the same moment that our glory is meant. And that we, we have to watch wow. that theme. And so if we... Evil, okay, say that one more time because somebody is going to like push pause and go, wait, 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 let me rewind that. Yes. Knowing your birth story because evil marks, marks us, us. In, in our moment of glory. Where, in your moment of glory. And that will happen throughout your life. In those moments that you step into your glory, you step into your voice, you step into birthing something, creating something, death is not far behind. Yeah. And and that's why the integration of the crucifixion and resurrection is so important because Jesus said, okay, death is part of the cycle, but it's not the end. It's the life-death life cycle. But evil wants us to think that it ends at death. And so it will mark us in our moments of glory. We have to look where evil marks us. I'm just, I'm over here. I wish you could see me. I'm like throwing up my hands. I'm having a church moment Mm. because Christy, Mm. if who knows that cycle better than a woman? I know. Who? I know. Who can lead us through this better I know. Than, than the body of a woman. I, I mean, th- and the life, death, life, death, life, death. It's like, it's just, re- it's, 
it's truly remarkable. Oh, and it's it's the finally the partnership. Like if the church yeah. came to embrace oh. the woman alongside helping facilitate birth and life and death and then life again. Like if we actually came together, I'm telling you, it is phenomenal when I take women through their stories and we start with their birth story and we go through reproduction or I or I do, you know, marking around hysterectomies and rituals mm-hmm. and what it means to birth death and that to me is my fullest calling. That to me is every woman's fullest calling. But just think about the moments when I get to do it with men. When I get to talk to men and tears streaming down their face and I say, how did your mother wean you? And in that Mm. moment, what did you vow with God that you would not be comforted or nourished again and you'd have to find it on your own? I'm telling you, it's holy, it's holy, holy work that we can do together that we were meant to do together, that God desired us to be in that room together, male and female, explaining something, showing a story of integration and of connectedness. Um, Mm. I I, I just want that. I want that for so many. But we have to be aware of where evil is trying to stop that. We have to. Mm And yeah, and so I think sometimes what gets lost on a lot of us is that in the same way that we are often trying to connect with a God that is here, that mm-hmm. is out there, outside mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. so in the same way that, that that's not embodied Emmanuel, Christ in with us, us, the hope of glory, that's not embodied mm-hmm. faith, to be constantly just grappling with some sort of mystical, um, although I would probably consider myself a mystic, but I don't mean in, in the embodied mystic way. I mean, we grapple for something that's external from us often. And in the same way, evil, in my experience, desires for us to fight externally, mm. to fight external battles, to fight, um, other people yes. to fight to fight even systems yes. first instead of the evil in our own body yeah. that has come to take up place and i i am finding on this journey mm. that if i can not only know my story but if i can confront where evil has landed literally in my hip. Yes. Like literally. Physically in your hip. Physically mm-hmm. said, I'm going to take up a space here and I know that your hip is connected with this moment and connected here. If I can spend time working on that, mm-hmm. then then my place and my peace in the world and the way I move about it has a lot more whimsical joy to it. Yeah. You know? Yes. And it has like... So much more power. Yes. But it, it's just an invitation because I, I right. just think revival is is within us. Yes. I, I love that you said invitation. Mm. It's an invitation. We are all invited to actually listen to what the Spirit's saying in us. And I think sometimes we've heard a rhetoric for so long. We're scared to not trust what our parents' voice, what we've been taught, but something Mm -hmm. in our body is saying something different. And I I think, could we give ourselves permission or could you at least Mm -hmm. just entertain the invitation for a moment and, and just wonder 
what is she asking? What does she want you to know? Mm. Um, because I do think, like you said, evil will turn us so quickly to the exterior and we, yeah. we don't have any space or time to want to go internal. Right. Um, and and that's that's even countertransference. Like the part of being a good therapist is you sit in a room and when someone says something that ignites your own story, you know your story mm. good enough that you can already do the work to stay present with them. Ugh. And I think that's what we have to do as a church. We have to know the church's story. We have to know Christianity's story better than evil Mm. does because evil only has to throw out one statement, one word, like feminist, like LGBTQ, like um, non-binary gender, anything. And all of a sudden our brains, oh, wrong, evil, gone, evil, gone. And then we've missed the whole invitation. Wow. And I I just... yeah, so the beginning now, do work. we know yeah, do we know the story of Christianity? Do we know mm-hmm. the story of, of scripture? Do we know the hands that it was passed down through to be interpreted and rewritten and and sifted through? Like do we yeah, do we know that story? Mm-hmm. That's a great that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Christy, how did you how did you come to determine that writing a book called The Theology of the <laughs> Womb was both necessary but also your work to do. How did you come mm-hmm. how did you come to that space? Yeah. You know those moments when you're like it all led up to this? Like mm. I grew up in the church. I mean, my Where are you from? I'm from Louisiana. Okay. Uh, originally and um I mean, my mom was in the Catholic Church, they were speaking in tongues over me and prophesying when I was in her womb. And wow. I have then followed a very, you know, expansive role yeah. in the church where I've gone from denomination to denomination. I mean, I went to seminary at a reform seminary, you okay. know, but then I was in Assembly of God, you know, middle school and high school, and speaking in tongues was what was so important. Yeah. So, but at the end of the moment of this book, it was this moment of like, oh, wow, God, that, you know, that one summer on that mission trip, like nothing was left out. Like it was all Mm. part of cultivating reflection about God. And I think because I was so hungry, I think because of my own orphanedness, and I was so hungry to know God. And then when I lost my own child, Mm. it became personal. Mm -hmm. And we had just prayed the week before in church for a healthy delivery. They had laid hands on me, on my mm-hmm. belly. And then my son is strangled in my womb four <sighs> days later. And then I deliver him. And, you know, actually it was the, the way our church grieved with us. The way, I mean, the way our church held my son, we baptized him in the hospital room. Our pastors came and held him. We, my church was not afraid to turn away from death. And I when I see what the church can do, I think it's mm. what spurs me on to be like, I'll expose it all yeah. because I am so desperate to stay in love with Jesus mm. that I, right. I will take him at his word. Like then he can handle this. I don't have to. He's not afraid of what's going to come out of my mouth. He's not going to afraid right. of what I believe. Right. Like, and, and there was something of that desperate you know, that full cycle of in my own birth story, my mother having hands laid on her belly and then me having hands laid on my son and 
two different outcomes. And yet my son's death has taught me that I am not afraid of death. Mm. Not only that, but part of God's calling in my life as a mother and to mother is to mother death. And that journey kind of just awakened me of like, we are missing out on so much about God. Mm. The whole world is. I mean, by by not listening to what he's teaching us through the female body, Mm. we are really, I mean, it's, it's very sad. It's heartbreaking. And Mm-hmm. Very sweet. Um, Jay Stringer, who is a close friend mm-hmm. of mine and, and doing a lot of work, said, you know, Christy, I, you came in and you shared the whole story and he, he held my son in the hospital room. So he's part of that story with us. And he said, but I, I heard you talk a theology of the womb and I thought, here's a revolution coming. Wow. And I think for a man, again, these really healing men who have yes. spoken, why don't you use the female pronoun, the whole sermon? Why don't you let this revolution ride itself out? It's so much bigger than me, Emily. It's not, I tell my story in, I mean, painful detail, but I do that to give freedom to women to step into their voices and their stories because I believe there is a revolution at hand um, in in the Christian faith. And I believe God is begging women Mm. to speak, begging them. Mm. Mm. And and I, I think their bodies are so loud. I think more and more women, as they're losing children, as they're infertile, mm-hmm. as they're deciding to not have children and adopt, mm-hmm. as they are birthing live children, mm. I, I, I think there's something we cannot be silent anymore. Mm. We cannot because God does not want to be silent about this. Mm-hmm. Life and death matter so much. In in your book, um, and I haven't, I haven't read it. Um, you have both an online course available. Yes. D- is it is it one that is supposed to complement the book? Mm-hmm. To it complements. Okay. You could watch it alone. What I realized is a lot of women don't have a ton of time to read a book, and the book is intense. I mean, it's it it takes mm-hmm. you through the research of like um, both theology and menstruation. It takes you through Mm -hmm. reproduction and and then through climacteric, which is Mm -hmm. when we um, go through menopause. So Mm -hmm. it's obviously there's a lot there. It's not just a fun read. Sadly, I wish it, I wish it was just like a romance novel. (laughs) You could just like kick back and bubble bath it, but you know, it's not that, but it is an invitation to have deeper relationship with other women and with men. There's something of a lot of women are reading it together and doing book clubs. And I hope it's the next like sweeping Bible study for women. Like I, I mean, uh, Beth Moore took me through my childhood years, but I'm like, I'm like, Beth Moore, I'm coming. I'm coming. (laughs) For you. And and then did this video course. So it's basically with every chapter, there's a 10 to 15 minute video of me talking about it. And you can watch, you can do them separately. You can do them together. But it was a way to give people that idea. And actually, we're doing a giveaway. We are. We are. And and that will come up. We're going to talk about this giveaway that we're doing. But I wanted to ask, because when you Mm -hmm. wrote the book, did you you set out intentionally as this was going to be a book to kind of tell my story of how how theology and scripture matched my story and experience? Or did you think, 
oh, this is going to be a Bible study. Is it laid out like a study or is it yeah, laid out more narrative? Yeah. Well, it's um, both. It's it's both. The beginning is heavy research and yet narrative. I put a lot of fun stories of how I bled through my shorts in front of like yeah. my sixth grade boyfriend, you know, like things like that. Right. It's, right, it's right. real fun in, in that I'm pretty open and it's, it's fun to read the stories. The end of the chapters have questions for you as the reader mm. to then write your own story. Like my favorite um, exercise in there is write in five to 800 words the first time you bled. So <sighs> it's questions like that, that invite you through a therapeutic lens. Like basically it's, it's a lifetime of therapy for the female body. And wow. um, that's how the chapters are kind of set up is like, if you want to do your therapy and if you want to do it and build a sisterhood, you know, mm-hmm. I have a lot of women across the nation calling their college friends and saying like, can we yeah. zoom once a month with a chapter? And the stories, I mean, just women weeping, telling their stories to each other the first time they bled. It's yeah. like not something we... It's the red tint, right? It's not something yeah. we have anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think that for a long time, I, and I remember going to um, to the, a red tent living Tracy mm-hmm. Johnson's mm-hmm. Um, conference yeah. that she did in Austin a few years ago. And it was my first time to go. Um, but I was, I would see coming up on Facebook or Instagram, these red tent living. And I thought, I don't want to live in that red tent because... <laughs> It was like this connotation of like marginalization. Yes. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. and, and to some degree, but the resiliency, what I've since learned is, is this rebirth yes. and, and women claiming and, and building community on the margins oh. is what we're celebrating and, here. And Emily, I take back that red tent marginalized. Like I go through and I did a ton of research on this, but basically what it comes down to is the encampment, the Holy of Holies was in the middle. And the reason Mm -hmm. women were sent to the wilderness is because when they bled, it was thought that their power was contending with the Holy of Holies, that their blood coming out of their body was the gods bleeding out of them to create, right? It's this signal of like, I'm going to be ready to create. It's this power of life and death. And so they thought it contended with the Holy of Holies. And that's why they sent women out to the wilderness. So they knew there was power there, but did they determine it to be evil? Definitely. And that's okay. and that's the reenactment present day when your present pastors day. tell you that was heretical, it's dangerous where you're going. Truthfully, yeah. if men have been afraid of the female body and yeah. of her power. But what's day one. What's so interesting is like her power is through her bleeding. Her power is through death, the life death mm. life cycle and it's a very her power is through in a sense, Jesus' crucifixion, that's where his power comes, through his right. death. And that's what we're, the story we're trying to tell. Yeah. It's not the power you think it is. <laughs> it's so brilliant. I mean, God's just so brilliant. God is so it's like, brilliant. It's just, it's so beautiful. And I'll tell you what else is evil, is, mm-hmm. is not just putting women on the outskirts, um, but doing that economically that we still have to pay for tampons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just learned that Scotland is the first country to approve a free um, sanitary, um, you know, pads and, and tampons. So I think why, why are we so advanced and we're still oh. requiring women who make up the, the poor right. 
right. the most, uh, you know, poor right. uh, in the on the earth, and we're still asking them to pay for this. Oh, and I, I mean, again, I'm about to throw out to you a, a Bollywood recommendation, which is just yeah. ridiculous that I would say that. But Padman on Netflix is okay. the it's an honestly the Indian man who yeah. went through being scorned to mm. try and figure out. I mean, he was sent out of his village. Everything he was trying to find a way to make a cheap enough sanitary pad for women because so many women were dying because they were using dirty rags again and again. And I mean, it's said in this Bollywood film, which is hilarious. I just watched it this weekend with my nieces and because they both started their period this past two months. And we just, I mean, it's, it's just, it's worthy. Like, why are we so far behind? But I think people, there are people, there are prophets trying to tell us Trying to tell us, do not be afraid. Don't be grossed out. Don't like, God was doing something. God was doing something bigger. Yes. Um, The other question that I thought about when I knew that you were coming onto the show is you talk about um, in womaneering, I want you to talk just a little bit about your hope for the podcast that you've got going on because I love even the term womaneering. It's kind of like when Destiny's Child, it was like termed bootylicious. <laughs> it's like now womaneering needs to be in the dictionary. It needs to be in the dictionary. It's such a great term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's your hope for that podcast as you even talk about like Christian womanhood? Mm-hmm. What does that even, what does that mean? Right. Oh, I mean, it was so fun actually with Tracy Johnson, just trying to decide, okay, what's the terminology? And that word just came to me, you know, over a decade ago. And I had Mm. met with these women. I was like, what do you think? We need to start something with this. And I had to sit on it for 12 years. And then here I like birthed it thinking, Okay, you know, I bought the domain though ten years ago because I was like, good "This girl. is genius. That's, it's coming." That's I don't know good. when the Holy Spirit's going to come meet good. me with the rest of this, but <laughs> I'm gonna buy that domain. Um, That's right. So anyway, it's 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 this idea of what does it look like to I would say decolonize, but I think the better word is pioneer Christian mm. womanhood, and you know, maybe it doesn't even need to just be Christian. Maybe it could just be mm. womanhood. What does it mean to mm. pioneer womanhood? My hope is that it's bringing women's voices. And the way we've set up the podcast is Tracy and I take turns telling a story. And mm-hmm. we do it very much. The Allender Center, all of our work out of the Seattle School and that kind of therapeutic work is narrative work matters. Your story mm-hmm. matters. So mm-hmm. we have it fashioned where we tell, one of us tell a story of where we were harmed by Christianity or the church and mm-hmm. um, how we we want to take it back. Like we want to take back a, a personal like love for the word mm-hmm. that I'm a Christian woman. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if that's even possible, but mm-hmm. I think there's a sense of we're telling our story to help other women start to tell their story. And then further in the podcast, we invite women to write their own stories, and then we have conversation around them. But the idea is, will you bring your voice? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's theology of the womb. Will you bring your body? You know, womaneering is, will you bring your voice to this world? Will you step into it? There's enough room for you. And we all show some aspect of the Imago Dei that no one else Mm -hmm. can. So Mm -hmm. I want every woman sharing Mm -hmm. her story, like not one left behind. I want every man sharing a story because it tells us something of God that we can't know anywhere else. So why aren't we diving into that? And Mm -hmm. I think 
like we were talking earlier, we have to sort of um, deconstruct some previous thoughts before we can get into the conversation. And I think before we womaneer, we have to deconstruct how we've been harmed, how we've been objectified, how we've been oppressed, what isms have stood in our way. And we take a womanist theology stance, which is black women who've led the Christian conversation around womanhood Mm -hmm. and around eradicating all isms where there is Mm -hmm. no racism, no heterosexism. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a sense of love. Like there's a, a sense of you bring your voice and, and God will show up in that. And just because you mentioned it and because some of our listeners may not be familiar with what womanist theology is, but explain, explain that because that's really, really important. Yes. So even as a white woman, there's something, Mm -hmm. um, a bit heretical of me even, I, I wish I could say I'm a womanist theologian, but in truth, Mm -hmm. womanist or or black women, and I am not going to take that um, from them or even pretend to, you know. Dolores Williams, Alice Walker, these are the Mm -hmm. founding women who've put words to this, but basically they take female embodiment. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were long before me talking about a theology of the womb. I mean, in a sense, they were, they were talking about something in their bodies with God was going on and suffering exposed an understanding of God and their embodiment. And, and they're articulating that through sin, shame. I mean, they're mm-hmm. telling that story in, in sexuality mm-hmm. in all these avenues. And um, I, I aligned with it so deeply that mm-hmm. I did my whole PhD research on it. Like that was okay. the, the theory that I used and founded it in wow. because it was women's voices that I, I just felt like this is the gospel. I f- again, mm-hmm. I felt... I'm going to use terminology like this. I felt saved. I felt mm-hmm. it again. I felt like now I believe this. Okay. Yeah. Like I like, signed like back I up. Can, yeah. 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 And I think that what that is, is the reconstruction, right? Of like when every, when all hope has been lost, when you've taken down all the shingles and you're just looking at a concrete slab and so a few studs that are laid on the house of your faith. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are we going to wrap around it yeah. now, you know? And and if all that is standing for some of our listeners is a concrete slab and a few pillars that, you know, right. might be Jesus, maybe the Holy Spirit, friends or family. I don't, right. I don't know what your studs are. Um, but after we've torn everything down, mm-hmm. there is this there is this need to reconstruct yeah. and and to find and to search. And, and I think where evil really comes against us in that deconstruction process is to stop. Yes. It's dead. Yes. It's over. Yes. Cash out. No, take no prisoners. It's gone. Right. Your faith is dead. Yes. You're done. You may as well be an atheist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what it feels right. like. And then you get kicked out or you kick yourself out because you yeah. don't see a way back. And God's not big enough for your deconstruction. And to me, it's, I feel like, shoo, if we're talking about people having to be accountable, you, mm. you know, if you're counting how many people you're leading to the Lord or saving, <laughs> like you're accountable for the ones you're kicking out. And mm. I just think that is something that we, there's a humility that has to come to the Western church that we say, if we're oppressors, we're also kicking people out of the kingdom maybe faster than we're accepting them. And I'm not okay with that. Yeah. And that's me either. Yeah. I mean, that's part of that <laughs> womanering process is like, I, 
I want a gospel that I can believe. And so mm-hmm. I, please let me trust that God is big enough to save mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And so can I go after him yeah. in my full, honest self? And I, I do think that, you know, womanist theology has helped me with that. If we look at um, something like the the cross and the lynching tree or just this this mm-hmm. earlier theology where black women have had to bury their children mm-hmm. and the story of Emma Till years ago is when he was mm-hmm. beaten and killed his mother had an open casket 3 days yes. now if that doesn't resemble the yes. cross and you will look at what you've done like sinners you will look at what you've done I, I get right. I mean, to me, like again, the gospel. I this is the gospel that I understand. I feel it resonates in my body, and yeah. I'm like, Lord, save me. Like, yes, I don't. Yeah. yeah, the power of the cross comes to me in a way that I haven't heard it in a long time. That it's it, it's mm. been bleached, and mm-hmm. I, it's mm-hmm. it, it's actually a gruesome place. Mm-hmm. And do you know who was at the cross? Women. They were taking Jesus's mm-hmm. body down and they were preparing it for the tomb. Mm-hmm. We as women are missing out on our calling and we're not. Why do we feel deconstructed and like we're giving up? Because we were actually meant to wrap these bodies right. and honor them and honor death and, and not be afraid of it. So mm-hmm. I, I, there's just, I, I know it can be seen as a ravaging, but like I am not afraid of deconstructed mm-hmm. faiths. Yeah. In fact, like come all who are hungry. Like Yes. I'm not I'm yes. not Jesus would not turn you away. Right. I'm not turning him away. Right. Because I disagree well, uh, or because I'm scared or because I don't know. Yeah. Because in turning everyone away, then we actually all perish. <laughs> I mean Yes. Every the hope dies when when we stiff arm and when we barricade and yeah. yeah it's there is no hope if if we can't welcome mm. you know hope for all of us mm. um you you have really really just opened us up I think mm. in and and what I hope our listeners as you're listening to this. You might have to go back and re-listen. There's some podcasts that I go back and, and I have to re-listen because I think I, I didn't I didn't fully embrace or I couldn't fully digest you know get yeah, ingest yeah. what I'm hearing. You may have to do that, but I think this is a portal. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes these podcasts and these listening opportunities are really portals for us right. to to move through. Um, and so take your time, mm-hmm. you know, with this. And I think that would be the invitation is if there's been something that feels offensive or that you're feeling angry about, like how right. could they question this feels, even if you are a woman mm-hmm. and you're angry at me right now yes. and you're angry at Christy yes. right now, we bless that. Mm, we bless that. We invite it. We bless that. We're not mad at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not angry at you. We're not mad at you. We say, let's mm-hmm. rumble. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get curious and let's rumble with what is it yeah. that makes... Yeah. And this should yeah. offend you because if what we're saying is true, we've been silenced for a long time and we've been neutering our bodies for a long time mm-hmm. and neutering our relationship with God and our intimacy with mm-hmm. God and our intimacy with our partners in sexuality. I mean... And in our relationship with our kids. So 
you should be angry. That might not be why on the, on the surface you're angry, but my guess is you should feel something in your body. And I hope you Mm. do. I hope you do because it means Mm -hmm. you're alive. Exactly. I love that you talked about intimacy and I just, as we wrap up our time here, that is the hope Mm -hmm. is that your intimacy in, in this embodied way that you would become more intimately aware of your story, Mm -hmm. that you would become alive and more intimately in tune with God and God's desires for you. I I love that. I mean, intimacy is, is where, with your relationships, with the world, with nature, with all of it. Yes. It's, and I love that you said, take your time because it is overwhelming. And so that's why I think even the book or the online course or doing it with someone, like there is an invitation. It's just like therapy. Like it takes time to attach in therapy and it takes time to start to tell your story and it takes time to get the themes and and be like, Mm. oh, that's happening. And the reenactments, oh, that's happening again. Mm. Like, oh, it happened in my childhood. Here it is happening again Mm. as an adult. Here it is happening to my kids. There's something Mm. about the generational that it takes time to study that. So would you be open to that? Okay, I feel angry today. Why? What in my story is needs to be told? Yeah. And then and then would you bless that? Would you be with your body and be with your story mm. and give them time to integrate? Mm. So if you would take that invitation and you want to take it to another level, um, we do have a giveaway. And, and I want, um, Christy, you tell us what are we going to be giving away today? Just doing the book and the online course together. If you're a, if you're a leader or you, I want women to lead other women in this. Like if it's your first time, that's great. You go through stuff's going to come up for you, but this book will walk you through it. Um, the online course will walk you through it if you don't have time to do the book. But we're going to give away um, three of those sets, the book and the online course uh, for listeners that... We're giving away three? Yeah. That you I'm choose. super excited. Okay. I thought we were just giving away two. Three. <gasps> okay, guys. You have more chances to win. So three books that come with the um, the online course of The Theology of the Womb, Knowing God Through the Body of a Woman. And if you're super curious about this and you're like, you know, I think I'm ready just to dive in and talk about these stories of the making of of my womanhood and how this relates to my connection with God and others, we want you to win this. Yes. So what you're going to do is when this podcast posts on Instagram and Facebook, you are going to tag three friends. We're giving away three packages. So you're going to tag three friends and then we will pick a winner and reach out to you. So that will be how you claim your prize. Christy, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I'm so excited to know you. And I can't wait to see what God does with this book and this study. Thank you, Emily, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey. Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.